Welcome back, everybody, to Miss Apex Formula E podcast. We are all charged up and ready to go. We are post doubleheader at Deeria. We had an absolutely phenomenal time at this track. It was great. We are coming to you from our podcasting shed this week. We are generating our power by pedaling. That's right. You can't see it, but off screen, we are all pedaling to keep this going. And of course, with the permission of our furrier halves. That is our cats. We are always talking about our cats. I seriously enjoyed these last two races. They were very, very fun, very action-filled. But one of the side effects of having a weekend that is filled with racing is that my dreams involve racing. I fall asleep and I consistently have the recurring dream that I'm a race car driver. Now, surprisingly, I'm not actually good at racing in these dreams. I'm just as mediocre as you would expect somebody who doesn't race cars to be. But for some reason, they still have me on the grid. I'm never having conversations with the team principal about how I'm shit. They just keep letting me racing the car. So, you know, go dream me, who isn't having a good race weekend, but somebody who had an absolutely fantastic race weekend It was his world. It was his race weekend entirely from start to finish. We're all just living in it is Nick Cassidy. And he's not just having a good race weekend. He's having a great start to his season. He has had two podiums that are P3s in round one in Mexico, in round two, first day at Deria. And now he has won a race and he did it in such a mastermind controlled fashion. These last two days, we've been listening to his radio messages where him suggesting strategies for how he and Mitch Evans could work together and then how he wanted to know data from his team, very specific data, so he could know how to pull his car away and maintain that P1 position. It was just an absolute beautiful thing to do. I love watching drivers just take control of the situation. And as always, today is a all Chris and nothing but Chris episode. And so joining me is Chris. Yeah, having a really good one. Uh, it was a good weekend, I thought. Obviously, you know, Mexico City was, you know, a little bit of a damp squib in terms of the on-track uh, action, acknowledged. But uh, Diria provided tons of thrills and spills and lots of action and a real topsy-turvy grid order as well. I mean, we've talked uh, before about the double headers, and, you know, Pascal Verlein won both races last year. But we couldn't have had anything kind of further from that this year, really, where it was kind of all about Porsche and Jaguar in the first uh, race. And then the DS Penske's were in there as well. And then suddenly there were no Porsches uh, in the duels on, on Saturday. And it was all about the um, uh, the the uh, the Envision uh, of, of Frines again, nowhere the previous day as well uh, against the uh, against the Nissan uh, cars, you know, the McLaren and the Nissan works team as well. So, uh, yeah, really, really topsy turvy uh, stuff. And yeah, we're, we're going to have fun talking about this episode. Absolutely. And I mean, starting right ahead, I think that we should be looking at I want to talk about Nick Cassidy straight up. That's OK. That's the only place that my mind is right now is how good of a weekend he has been having. He started P7 on day one and brought it all the way up to third, which very well done on his part, especially because, well, the door was left open, unfortunately for him, uh, by Mitch Evans, continuously trying to make that dive bomb happen and continuously 
going off track. He tried that move, what, three, four times? And it yeah, didn't work like any of them. He kept going onto the dirty side of the track and you could see the dust kicking up every single time he went over there. And every single time, he was not able to get that overtake done. It was a little depressing to watch. I could tell he was getting frustrated. We all were. Sad times for Mitch Evans, but it benefited Nick Cassidy. Yeah, it certainly did. Uh, Three races and three podiums, including one win, now has the World Championship lead, uh, of course, because he's had the most consistent start to the season of of anybody. And um, yeah, going from strength to strength in that uh, Jaguar, you know, we talked to Mexico City about how of anybody moving to a new team for this season, he had the shallowest learning curve, let's say, um, because he was moving from the customer Jaguar team to the works Jaguar team. But he's kind of walked into Mitch Evans's house a little bit and kind of is, you know, rearranging the furniture pretty quickly because uh, I'm sure Evans would have been a bit upset about the fact that he was a few seconds behind um, Nick Cassidy in Mexico City with, um, I think, some weird steering wheel um, issue. But he'll be very annoyed about the fact that he threw away a podium on the last lap to his teammate as well. And sure, for the team, they only lost a couple of points in the end. They got third and fifth rather than third and fourth. Uh, so the team still came away with a podium, but Evans didn't want to lose that one. And now Nick Cassidy has won a race before him uh, as well, which he's going to be happy for the team, but it's got to sting ever so slightly because Mitch Evans has been the nearly man in Formula E for so long. And he probably feels we've we've got a car now that can fight for the championship and I've, I'm losing to my teammate. Yeah. And I mean, it's not even just him losing to his teammate based on pure dumb luck. It's him losing out to his teammate on performance in these cases. It was his errors that meant that he didn't get those overtakes done. And it was Nick making smart moves that helped him get farther and farther up the grid. So it's there's one type of frustration when things just don't go your way. And there's a completely other different kind of when you know that you contributed to it. My fingers are crossed and hoping that this means that he's going to have a fire lit under his behind and that we're going to get a really interesting title fight between the two of them. And hopefully it stays, you know, moderately civil. I'm never opposed to some spicy radio messages coming in, but I feel like this is setting up a really interesting thing to come. And unfortunately, we do have to wait 48 days before the next round to see how this plays out. But I'm I'm really intrigued to see how Jaguar ends up going throughout the rest of the season because they have an interesting situation to manage. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, 48 days before the next race, a lot of time for reflection and preparation ahead of Sao Paulo. And don't worry, we're still going to be creating content uh, in the weeks between now and uh, the next race in Sao Paulo. But um, for, um, for Cassidy and, and Evans... You know, we we talked in the season preview, didn't we, our first episode, that at some point tempers are going to flare and Jaguar is going to have to manage the situation. There's going to be team orders involved at some point. And we got the first case of that uh, in the uh, the first race of, of the weekend where Mitch was told to let Nick go uh, in order to, to try and help him build the gap so that he could take the attack mode. And um, and then he was it was very it, 
Mitch did it kind of somewhat begrudgingly, I feel like, um, but it wasn't like a, a, a flare moment. Um, maybe just, you know, the first spark, uh, perhaps, because uh, Nick was very much playing the team game and saying, I'll give the position back. He's got the podium. It's fine. Um, but then ended up coming away with the podium anyway, because Mitch was going for that second place on the very, very last uh, lap. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd be interested to see how Mitch comes back from all this. Mm-hmm. And especially with having that much time to stew in it. The other team that, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because we're having so many good fights up at the front, that kind of slipped between the cracks, I think, for a lot of people was McLaren. Not going to talk about them for too long, but they've got two P4s, which for McLaren mm. is very, very solid. Both of their drivers are in the top 10 for points, I believe, which is notable because I feel like as bright as that papaya is, that their stories kind of slip between the cracks. But they had quite good days. I mean, Sam Bird unfortunately slammed into a barrier um, and and completely dropped out of the race day two. But still, two P4s for McLaren is very solid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely is. Um, and of course, you know, they're on a, a good op- level operationally. It's effectively the old... Uh, Mercedes you know, works team just rebranded as the McLaren Nissan powered of course uh, and uh, we saw the Nissan you know power cuts were very quick especially on day two with the works team also getting right up there on the podium with Ollie Rowland so um, yeah good car that weekend and Sam Bird uh, really like you know finding his feet in that team as well in only the second race of of the season and I would kind of expect nothing less from him really you know he's he's one of the OGs been there since day one in Formula E. I mean, uh, and has been a phenomenal performer throughout um, throughout you know all of the Formula E uh, years, save for you know one or two of them at, at Jaguar where things didn't quite go uh, his way. Uh, so yeah, coming off with with fourth place in the end, and Jake Hughes continuing to build on his momentum as well. You know, had a really solid rookie campaign car performance kind of went away as the season progressed but yeah good to see them coming back into the forefront and shout out to sam bird for having his bleached blonde ken hair it is (laughs) it is such a look not everybody can pull that off but gold star to sam bird because he can and i feel like it's given him extra attitude than before (laughs) it was a great interview with him where he has the sunglasses on his like race suit tie down so he just has the black fireproof and he's just interviewing with somebody and uh, attitude, so much tude. It was, it made me smile. It made me laugh. Gold star to I him. I think if there's anyone, if there's anyone who needs to know, he's Kenuff after <laughs> last season. It's Sam Bird. Absolutely, Sam Bird. You are Kenuff, and I hope you know that. If you ever listen to this, <laughs> good job on your haircut. It's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but another driver that similarly to Sam Bird had a good day one, but. A tragic day two. Jake Dennis. He won the first race. He had control. He won by a spectacular margin of what, 13 seconds, something way up there like that. It was all the other cars. You couldn't see them in shot. And of course, we cut away to him winning when there was still a battle on track happening, which that was a little bit depressing (laughs) and makes me sad that Formula E doesn't have all of the camera control that you get in. Formula One, F1 TV spoils us. I, it's good and bad. You know, being spoiled is great. I wouldn't know. Oh, right. I wouldn't know because we don't get it. Oh, well, 
sorrows and prayers yeah. for you lot. But yeah, cheers. We got to see Jake Dennis have his hopefully first of a couple victories of the season because his wins are always just such great energy. We got a great Mario Kart pose from him as he's jumping around the stage, being very, very happy about it. Fantastic control of the race. Again, 13 second gap. But then day two, he had an absolutely abysmal qualifying, was starting from way far back. He didn't even make it to the duels. And, you know... Didn't make it into the top 10. Didn't make it into the top 10. And then we had his interview where he just completely laid it out, saying, I don't know what happened. This setup is complete and absolute shit. This car feels horrendous. I don't know what we did, but this didn't feel great. And I did not enjoy that. Yeah, called it the worst Formula E car he's ever driven, which is amazing. Overnight, it just went so badly for him. And it was a really good win the day before as well. He kind of took command of the strategy as well. We saw a lot of drivers, um, you know, not not so much, you know, questioning the uh, abilities of their engineers but but taking their own decisions in what to do and he effectively overcut let's say uh both mitch evans and john eric van to go from third to first with both the the two attack modes and when i say overcut the way i sort of think of it is if you liken it to an f1 pit stop where you know you come in you get those fresh tires on and you get a bit of extra speed right so they're, they're constantly building the gap to either, you know, the car behind or one of the cars behind, try and find themselves some space to take that attack mode. We're just dealing with like one and a half to two seconds rather than 20 seconds for an F1 pit stop, for example. Um, so so what he did was he kind of stayed out, as it were, longer and took his attack modes later than the car in front of him. And by once he was in that clean air, just putting the hammer down, and, um, you know, despite the cars behind him being in a higher power mode, was able to use a bit bit more energy. I think the the fact that it, the Diria circuit is, uh, you know, it, it's not too energy intensive. So what we ended up with was two quite flat out-ish races. And that meant he could spend that energy to try and build that gap and then take the attack mode a little bit later and come out ahead. And I think, I know it was 13 seconds, but it was helped somewhat by Jeff being a bit of a roadblock in the last 10 laps where he just seemed to really struggle on energy. Mm -hmm. I don't remember who exactly told me this. I was probably a dance teacher when I was like five. But uh, <laughs> in competition, you pray for your successes as much as your opponent's failures. It's true. It is very true. You yeah. want to do well, but you also want everybody else to to trip up a little bit. Oh, of course. You need, the, you need that luck every now and again. Absolutely. And I mean... My big question is, what? Like, tell me why. Tell me why a team would change a setup so drastically when it very obviously worked on day one. Why do you go ahead and make all of those changes for day two? That's the big question. I'll tell you why. Um, ain't nothing but a heartache. Uh, so many, so many of those references made um, over this weekend <laughs> because the Backstreet Boys were playing the gig um after the race no um not even after the race did so, you see the videos yeah yeah okay, I did, good yeah, envision put out a great one like that was um such a quality video well, mclaren responded as well i saw that like, yeah absolutely phenomenal one. if you guys haven't seen it go look at their pages like that's a song that it deserved to be revived and um it's gonna yeah. be stuck in my head 
for a good long while now. Oh, it's been stuck in my head ever since it was in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, but I will actually tell you why now, right? Uh, so let me let me put it to you this way. When it was the first year, it was a doubleheader. Uh, Alex Sims in the BMW put it on pole position and then just went nowhere in the race. He just went backwards because he didn't have the, the race pace and the energy management of the cars around him, right? Second day comes around, Sims puts it on pole again. But this time he absolutely dominates the race. And that is because the teams can go away, they can learn things, and the track changes as well, crucially, right? So things they can change, obviously they're quite limited. It's bits of setup and software, because obviously the hardware is homologated throughout the entire season. So they haven't got much they can change, but there are various parameters that will help them with their performance. And in a way, you kind of need to second guess what the track state is going to be on the next day, because we saw the track was several seconds quicker on the second day because it's been cleaned up so much and you've had rubber being laid down throughout the entire weekend. So it's a very different track to when they rolled out on uh, Friday morning, uh, for example. So maybe they anticipated things wrong or maybe they didn't anticipate things enough and the car just went away from them uh but it, it it's yeah it's it's easier said than done to nail it on both days fair enough do have to say one thing that i really enjoyed today was i was a bit more conscious during qualifying than i was yesterday for mm. for reference it was 4:20 in the morning when i was watching qualifying on both days commitment right there but you got to see the sun setting and also how blinding that must have been to the drivers. So props to them for qualifying wherever they did, but especially to those who qualified well with that blinding light, especially as it kept getting more and more blinding into the duels. Well, Well especially, uh, yeah, especially the Saturday qualifying, uh, which was the duel stages were kind of delayed a little bit because of Bohemi's um, shunt at the end of Group B qualifying, a shunt so massive that he moved the concrete barrier behind the Tech Pro, which is fairly astonishing, and hence the delay. And of course, that then resulted in him not starting the race because it's quite difficult to build a Formula E car in two hours. Yeah, one of the downfalls of having everything on one day for the teams is that Mm. that fix-it period is absolutely non-existent. It's great for us as fans. I love having everything in one day. It's so much more convenient, but... Yes. Uh, thoughts go out to Buemi and his team for yeah. oh, that short, impossible turnaround time. And they also had to turn around the car on uh, Thursday yeah, after evening as well, because he had a battery failure in first practice that they had to then change. Well, award for worst drive of the weekend from saddest boy. Are we giving it to Buemi <laughs> or, or do we think yeah, there's someone think... else who had a sadder weekend? <laughs> I think I think just the uh, award for the hardest working uh, team oh, okay. over the week. <laughs> oh, very very worthy award to be given. Oh, yes. Also worth noting before we completely move on from Jake Dennis, he also completely lost his Saturday points because of his penalty. Oh, yeah, I I completely forgot about that because was distracted by other things going on today. <laughs> Rolex twenty four, but yeah, <laughs> he he completely lost his points. Bye bye. Because he was overtaking him and Mitch Evans, right? Were overtaking under yellows was the reason given. Uh, so I, at time of recording, I haven't seen anything for Evans come up just yet, but he was also under investigation. So Dennis was given a five second 
time penalty, uh, which meant he lost his 10th place and subsequently his fastest lap point as well, because you only get it if you finish inside the top 10. So that then went to uh, Cassidy. Um, but uh, that's got to hurt. I saw penalties, yeah, a specifically bit. to go to Cassidy. Um, that's got to hurt. Yeah. Oh. And then there were also penalties for Norman Nato and Sergio Sete Camera, but they okay. were of very little consequence. Yeah, often um, no man's land. So, yeah, so it really was, yeah, like complete night and day scenario going from, yeah, almost maximum points with the win. And um, I think he got fastest lap on uh, the Friday race uh, as well. Yeah, he did. Um, to zero points on the Saturday race, which was, you know, we, we talked about in Mexico how it was such a, a not a not a really poor start to his title defense, but an underwhelming one because he had messed up the quali and it was really difficult to overtake. So we couldn't make up that progress. And we saw in this race, it was really hard to make forward progress. We saw basically the mid pack was just a solid block of, of cars that were unable to, to move. And I, we saw it in the end of the, the second race as well, because Cassidy had, you know, nine cars right behind him. And I think maybe there wasn't enough lifting coast options. Uh, again, we talked about it's a fairly flat out race. So he, uh, I'm not saying it was easy for him to defend it, uh, but there were fewer opportunities for France to try and throw one up the inside or for anyone to try and do anything about it, uh, really, other than just sort of sit in the slipstream and hope it was going to come off, Because, especially because they use attack mode so early. You know, Cassidy kind of won uh, with the same kind of strategy that Dennis used the previous day, where he used his attack mode later, except he was able to jump two cars in one fell swoop. So... Uh, and oh, what was genius as well from Jaguar? I don't know who would have thought of this, but Fr- Frains took his one, his second one, at the same time Nick took his first one, and they were both for six minutes. Obviously, Jaguar would have known that Frains's one would have had to have been for six minutes. So if they wanted to try and even it up, I think, as much as possible to try and maintain that gap, and then Nick could take his second one and still hold on to the lead. Mm-hmm. The attack mode chain reactions are so interesting to watch because half the mm-hmm. time you have this giant block of drivers that are just reactionary t- all taking attack mode at the exact same time because oh one person took attack mode okay if we're not going to lose position we're all gonna take it it's i mean it's similar to pit stops in other series one person takes it yeah. and so you know you're playing chicken essentially but here it's also interesting because they have to figure out okay who's going to be doing two minutes four minutes six minutes and that. Similarly to, you know, what tire compound is, is anybody going to take? But it's um, it's one of those interesting ones. No, it, it absolutely is. And yeah, it's like the the pit stops, like you mentioned, you get a, a chain reaction, uh, basically, because when one car takes it, suddenly that opens up the gap. And if they take it too early, they fall into the pack, they fall behind another car. I think this is what went wrong with Jev on the Friday, because he took his and was just stuck behind a car. and And that's what allowed... Uh, Dennis especially to try and to try and push uh, forward that gap because we see even with the attack mode it's still quite hard to pass it's not an easy overtake to make um, still some drivers who could make it work like like we saw Verline make quite a dicey move into turn one using the attack mode in the second race um, but uh, yeah it's it's not um, it's not it's not quite as simple uh, and easy I think as as maybe it was a few years ago. 
on day two, we also had Roland on pole, which was great to see. He put together a couple great laps there. And I mean, I I swear I was awake for this. I swear I remember it happening. A little bit of a fever dream, but lovely to see. And he kept it up there. He got a podium. He got third. Yeah. Um, so I think strong performance uh, from Nissan. They seem to have these blips of really, really good performance every now and again. Then they sort of disappear for a while because I don't think either of them have finished in the points up until up until Roland getting on the podium just now. Um, and the thing is, the thing with Roland, the last time he was at the team, he was probably their biggest asset, particularly in uh, like seasons seven and eight, where the car performance was really dipping and he was dragging that car into places it probably didn't deserve to be. So uh, so I, I think it was foolish for Nissan to kind of let him go, really. Um, but now he's back and he's doing what he does best. And that is whacking brilliant qualifying performances together and then dragging that into a good race result uh, as well. And clearly the car's made a bit of progress um, as well uh, to, to keep up with the, with the race pace uh, as well. Um, even if, even if, you know, races like Deria, they do suit, they do help some of the less efficient cars, which is probably why it wasn't like, a complete Porsche Jaguar washout um, this weekend. Uh, and we, we saw more of like the Nissans and the, the DS uh, cars getting right up there uh, as well. And, and even Sergio Sete camera, you know, scoring points on, uh, on the Friday as well, because he can, he can put together a really great qualifying performance and then just defend for the Hills uh, in the race. So uh, yeah, uh, overall, yeah, really good day for, for Ollie Rowland uh, and for Nissan. And uh, yeah, he seemed, he seemed very happy to be back. You know, he got the pole and it was like, that's why I came back. It just It's also just a great start to the season for him because he's coming off of a year where he only did half the season and mm. left Mahindra and was just like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. We are moving on. So to come back and to have in round two, round three, a podium and a pole, that's that's just a good tone setter. It, I think, invigorates the team with a little bit of optimism and kind of just gets the ball rolling on what hopefully will continue to be an upward trajectory for the rest of the year and a better better season for him than he had last year. And, and Fennestras was right up there as well. He was, uh, what, sixth or something in, in the second race as well. So double points uh, for Nissan. Yeah, overall, like, really strong weekend. Definitely. Oh, yes, a Porsche. I felt like they were kind of in no man's land this time again. How did they even do? Uh, well, uh, Porsche, yeah, not having a great weekend. And again, you know, we we talk about turning of fortunes, and Pascal was so brilliant in Mexico City, and then they, they come to Diria, and just neither of the drivers seem to be anywhere. Um, really, uh, Da Costa seems to be lacking confidence in droves at the moment and isn't isn't able to get a decent uh, qualifying performance out the car and that just completely wrecks his races um and you know de costa is not a slouch he is a a former champion he's a season six champion probably one of the most dominant champions that the series has actually ever seen uh when he was at ds cheetah so you can't you can't really just point the finger at him uh clearly there's something he's not getting from the car and pascal verline uh, only getting a, an eighth and a seventh across the two uh, races. And uh, again, from a sort of lowly grid position 
uh, as well. So, yeah, really, really tough weekend for them. I mean, Verline's still second in the championship, but uh, lost an awful lot of points to to, uh, to Cassidy, um, especially. Uh, probably not so many to Dennis as he was fearing with uh, him having a difficult uh, second second race. But it was I saw Verline in the uh, the first race, and he always seemed to have like four or five percent more energy than anyone else, which we saw a lot of last year. And he would then deploy that and just absolutely carve through the field. But we didn't see that that second part uh, at all during during that race he just had all this energy and then wasn't really able to utilize it or turn it into speed and was verline also one of the drivers that got kind of screwed over by buemi's crash by not being able to finish his final lap uh probably maybe i don't know just looking at the overall pace i wouldn't say it was was far from a guarantee that he was going to end up in the the duels not like uh I i think bird was probably a little bit more uh, done over by the red flag uh, because he he reckons he would have been second or third with the lap he was on and was four seconds away from the checkered flag uh, when the red flag came out. So uh, very unlucky um, for him. But yeah, for Porsche, I don't think it would have made that much difference. Definitely disappointing to see. Verline is one of those drivers that I always expect him to be doing exceptionally well. And then, I mean, Eighth and seventh is still points. Those are still good results to have, especially when it's, you know, it's not about the individual day. It's about the long term entire season and every point matters. Yeah. But still, I, I can sense how it would be disappointing going from being so confident in race one and then coming to a doubleheader and having it really just go nowhere. And again, with doubleheaders, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to see is when they go from having a bad day one and it lighting them up and them getting okay we need to fix this we need to do better on day two learning from it and coming back stronger but in this case we had so many drivers that had a good day one and then kind of fell off for day two and in verline's case just kind of stayed static and and to me that's almost yeah. more disappointing well the uh, not uh not so much comforting uh news or fact but on the saturday even though he was seventh he was only five seconds away from the race winner actually so yeah it kind of looks bad on paper but we're talking about super tight field in that case where uh the the small margins really do make quite a big difference so uh i get they can maybe take some comfort from that but um yeah i would i would expect more from them in sao paulo fingers crossed yes because that's i like sao paulo always it's a good Mm. solid formula e's race there before correct yeah, yeah, this is not one of the new the tracks. Time. Okay, no, no. <laughs> feels like it feels like there's a whole chunk of new tracks this year, like back to back, or at least oh, in yeah. close succession. So, looking forward to those as well because those really even out the field. People have no clue what to expect. You don't know who's going to do well or not. They're very exciting, but very excited for Brazil as well. It's just a good vibe. The fans there always know how to bring the energy. And last year's race was really good as well very really enjoyable good fight and uh yeah should be should be even closer this year hopefully fingers cross oh great time and until we get there to brazil we are going to be continuing to have episodes other things to chit chat about interviews potentially so keep an eye on our social medias our individual ones as well as the podcast is the podcast is the podcast account we have 
at Formula E pod on Twitter because nobody else had claimed that. Very exciting. I know, right? Winning. It shows you as a trendsetter when you can get a nice and easy to remember handle. We love it. Thank you for joining us today and we will chat with you again soon. Soon.